0: that He'll connect you with right people at the right time when it's needed. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you. Again, I, I realize what we oftentimes do is that we, we oftentimes try to rationalize, does it make sense? And I'm going to tell you right now that when it comes to trusting God, trusting God never makes sense from the natural. Right? I mean, let's cross an ocean. Let's, let's leave and... and, and trust that there's going to be manna from heaven and all those kind of things, those stories that you read in the Bible that you just see God's faithfulness. It never makes sense, right? And I'm going to tell you, there's several times in, in our lives in this ministry that we have seen God just do tremendous things. And again, the, the only reason that I'm saying this is not to try to get you to, uh, to give more, but just for you to understand that God's got your back and He's not just going to do it for a church corporation. He's going to do it for you, the church people. And years ago, when we first started uh, Genesee Valley Church, uh, there was the, the old building that we purchased, and it was a run-down little building. And uh, in fact, when we first drove up to it on the way in, my wife says, no way, this is not it. But once we got into the building, she's like, yeah, this feels Right. And so in that season, that's where we were at. That's where our faith was. And so we said, okay, we'll purchase the building. And one of the things that the Lord said to us or that I asked the Lord about is that I wanted to stucco the outside of the building. And uh, the old building had like stained glass windows. It had three shades of shingles. and the, 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 I mean, it was just really rough. I mean, it was in poor, poor shape. And so I wanted to stucco the outside of the building to make it look new, put a steel roof on it, and just make it look modern. And so upon praying about that, the Lord said to me, he says, go ahead and do it. I said, all right. And so I contacted a guy. He gave us a price. And so upon doing so, he said, I'm going to require half of it up front, and then when I complete the job, I'll take the other half. And so upon doing so, uh, we started watching the giving, and we still had half the money for the down payment, but nothing above and beyond came in. And I'm like, okay, God, nothing else is coming in. We need to scratch this. We need to just cancel this whole stucco job. And the Lord said to me, he said, when you prayed, he says, did you ask whether you should or whether I wanted you to just go ahead and do that? I said, well, I asked you, could we do it? And you said, yes, go ahead and do it. He said, well, then if I said go ahead and do it, then go ahead and do it. I'm like, Okay. So we went ahead and we began to stucco the building. And he says, okay, when I get the job completed, he said, I'll probably get it done at the end of the week. And I'll slip the bill through the door. He said, just have it paid by the end of the weekend. I'm like, okay. And so I'm watching the giving. I'm watching the progress of the building. And it finally came to the day where he slipped the note or the bill through the door. It was on a Friday. Job complete. The balance needs to be paid. And I'm like, God... There has not been another single penny that has came in to pay down or pay towards that. What are we going to do? And I said, God, we only have one extra Sunday. We have this Sunday and then Monday i got to go pay the bill. And I'm like, okay, God, you're going to have to work a miracle. That Sunday, three doctors came to the church. And in that one offering, those three doctors gave and paid off the balance of the stucco. Amen. You see, God's not early God's never late he's always right on time amen and so you might look be looking at impossible situations and you're saying God I need you to move God is the one that moves mountains God is the one that does impossible things all he's wanting for us is to step out in faith and say God I believe you I trust you at your word and therefore that settles it amen come on say it with me say that settles it Amen, praise God. Well, that one was for free as well. I always seem to give you a free message before I get into my message, so praise the Lord. That's, uh, pass the bucket again. Oh, no, just joking. <laughs> so anyways, for those of you that are here for the very first time, my name is Tony Umber. We pastor this lovely church, that good-looking blonde that was up here earlier. Uh, it was me. I had a microphone <laughs> shut off, and I was like, I always wanted to do that. Ooh. Mm. Somewhere, she, you know, she's talking, and you can't hear. That only work at home. No, man, I'm digging myself a hole. No, man, praise the Lord. That good looking blonde that came up here, that was my lovely wife. (laughs) Ha ha! Funny, (laughs) funny. So we pastor this church, and we're so thankful that you're here, and for those of you that are listening online, we just want to say thank you, welcome to our online campus, and praise the Lord, it's going to be a good day. We're going to finish our series that we've been in, we've been started, or started a series rather, called Who's On First? And so, just to review for just a moment, if you recall the very first Sunday, we said who's on first, and we said you are. Oftentimes we think God is putting us us in the hot seat. And the fact of the matter is, is that God says, I have put you first. You are the apple of my eye. He says, you are the most important thing. You are the reason that I have done what I've done. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians, it says that before God ever created the world, it says that he saw us in faith and saw us with no fault in his eyes. So I don't know if that does anything for you, but what that says is that before God ever started the master plan of creating this world in this universe, it says before he ever did that, he knew that you and I was going to mess up to the point that we were going to mess the whole situation up and to the point of no return. And the Bible says that in spite of him already knowing that beforehand, he saw us beyond our failures and saw us faultless. In fact, the Bible says that we are God's masterpiece. Come on, you might feel like you have messed up beyond the point of return, and God says, listen, before you ever was, before the world was ever created, I saw you doing it, and I still called you my masterpiece, because you are first in my life. Amen? And then last week we said this in regards to our heart towards God, that God wants to be or wants to put us first, but then He in turn wants us to begin to put Him first in our lives. And so we're going to take that a little bit further today, looking at how we begin to put God first in some specific areas. And so we're going to hit a couple different points, if you will, and so I'm going to give you some nuggets here and nuggets there that you can uh, uh, apply in different areas, but ultimately it's how do we live a God-first life and really putting God first in the context of our family and life as a whole. And this past week, uh, I don't know how I found this song or this actual video, uh, but it was a a song or a video, rather, uh, by Craig Morgan. He's a country uh, singer, and he's a Christian man. And three years ago, he lost his son. And he said one night, God woke him up in the middle of the night and gave him the lyrics to this song. And the name of the song is called My Father, or The Father, My Son, and the Holy Ghost. And as I listened to that song, that song and the words of that song hit me so deeply that I just began to bawl like a baby. And and the interesting thing is, is whatever God's been doing in our church and doing in me, I I don't know what it is. I've been a crier lately, and I, I don't like crying in front of people. In fact, I was in the office, and there was somebody in the office the other, and she says, yeah, you've been crying a lot, Pastor. What's up with you? And so I don't know what God's been doing, but man, when I heard that song, I bawled like a baby. I mean, it was a ugly cry, you know what I mean? And I was the only one home. And so I listened to it again, and the second time I listened, man, I bawled. And the fourth and the fifth, and I mean, I listened to it probably six times in my house. And every single time, I mean, I just sobbed. And the lyrics of the song are talking about the loss of his son. He's saying, I've went through some hard things. And he says, but I've never been broke. But this time, I've been broken. And in the course of the song, he goes on to say, you know, I get up in the morning and I I get a cup of coffee and it's everything that I can do just to rouse up some ambition to live life and just go through the day and oftentimes I just sit around doing nothing. He says, but I've got the Father and I've got my Son and I've got the Holy Spirit. And through that song, he talks about the hope that God gave him to go on in some of the darkest times of his life. And as I said Every time I started listening to that song in my car, and every time I listened to it in the car, I started crying. I started to tell my wife, I was telling her, man, this song just messed me up. I tried to try to tell my wife, I started crying, talking to my wife. And I'm like, God, why is that song messing with me so much? Because obviously I haven't lost a son. I can relate to the fact of losing a child, but nevertheless, I've never gone through that tragedy. And then it dawned on me. And God said, the reason why you connect to the emotions of that is because you've been in those seasons of your life where you feel like you've been broken. You've come to the end. You've just tried to muster up strength to go through the motions of life. I said, yeah, I really can sense that. And then I said, but yeah, God, through my darkest hours, you always gave me hope. In my darkest moments of life, in the greatest failures, in the greatest times of depression, I've always sensed the presence of God giving me hope. And why do I share that with you? Because God so loves us that He wants us to turn to Him in situations of trial, of struggle, of times when we feel like we're broken, and say, God, I need the hope that only you can give. And the reason that we can cry out to God that way is because God says, I've put you first in my life, and you can trust me. Amen? And so I hope this morning this will begin to give you some direction as to how we can begin to prioritize some things in our lives to have a God-first life, to put God first. And how many of you know that there's a priority that God has set for us to place in our lives? So first and foremost, it's God first. Secondly, it's our spouse. Third, it's our children. And if you didn't know that that was the order, then that is the order. Put God first. Put your spouse second. Put your children third. But even as that being the priority of the house, understand that in every scenario or relationship, there is the opportunity of putting them first. Do you know what I'm saying? When I'm spending time with God, I'm putting God first. When I'm spending time with my wife, I need to put her first. When I'm spending time with my kids, I got to put them first. Does that make sense? I've got a purpose to prioritize and put things into perspective and putting things first. And it's interesting that when it comes to this idea of putting God first, I remember when we first started our church several years ago, it's probably going on like 20 years ago in our first church, I remember one man, he had came to the church there His wife came and she brought the kids and he would come every now and then and he would come grudgingly and he would always, you know, squawk, you know, oh, taking up the offering again, there they go again. You know, he was just really disgruntled. And I remember talking something along the lines of the family and I remember him saying with a really, just a disdain, he's like, how can you put God before your kids? He says, "That, that don't even make sense to me. He said, my kids always come first. Well, see, that's a man that doesn't know God. That's a man that has never experienced the love of God in his own life. That's a man that has never experienced that God put him first so that we could turn around and give him first place in our life. And there's a lot of people that are like that, that just don't understand the love and the heart of God. And without having a relationship with God, you'll never understand how you can put God first. Now, with that being said, I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 4. And as I said, there's going to be a couple nuggets that we share with you here that's going to lead into the context of what we're talking about. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 4, it says this. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that it, it would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, that might be a verse that you've heard before, and oftentimes we can read through that and just look at the, the various different things and say, yep, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Yep, praise God, but they're mighty in God. And that's what we camp on. But there's three things that he talked about there that I want to go back over so that we understand. First and foremost, he says this, bring every thought into captivity. He says now, concerning the, the battles of your life, he says there is a battle that you're going through. There is a struggle that we as believers face. And let me just give you a disclaimer. How many of you know that if you're not a Christian, if there are people that are not serving God, the devil does not mess with those people. Do you know why? He's already got them. It's only the church, it's only the believer, it's only those that have given their life to Christ that the devil goes after and messes where the battle belongs or where the battle is is waged against, right? And he says concerning this battle, he says cast down or bring bring every thought into captivity. Then he goes on to say cast down arguments and every high thing that would exalt itself. So in other words, there are arguments that are saying I want to take first place. I want to be first. And it says now when you're finding the struggle that are trying there are things that are trying to exalt themselves, he says cast down those arguments. And then lastly he says pull down strongholds. Pull down those things that would Endeavor to take a stronghold of you, or that you might be tempted to take a stronghold of yourself. He says, You pull them down. So, in other words, God says that there is a battle that we are going to face. There is something that we have to be aware of, and that therefore, in order for us to have a God first life, we've got to be aware of this battle that is taking place. Now, how many of you, by a showing of hands, how many of you have got frames that you've put pictures in and you've hung them on the wall. Anybody in here you've been intentional. Nobody got a few of you, some of you just looking at me, okay, well if you haven't hung them on the wall, how many of you had a frame that you put a picture in, you put it on a mantle, you put it on a shelf, does that get any more hands up here? I think everybody at some point in time, maybe you put a picture in your wallet or something or your purse, every single one of us have probably put a picture within a frame and put it up on the wall, on the mantle or on the shelf, and here's the thing about a frame, Anytime or anything that you frame, you begin to say, I want to intentionally look at that. Are you here? I said, anytime you put a picture in a frame, you say, there is intentionality that I am going to look at that thing. And if you have, or if your frame, or the frame or the picture that you put in a frame also dictates a level of significance right? I mean, you might have a small picture that you put off to the side, but then there's a big picture that you put right in the middle of the room or put on top of the mantle. Why do you do that? Because that demands or signifies significance, right? Now, when it comes to my kids, my kids get school pictures every year. They just got some a matter of a few weeks ago. So you know what We did. We went over to the old pictures that we have hanging in the hallway. We pulled the frames off the wall. There's one for each kid. And we take the old picture out, put the new picture in. Why? Because they're growing, they're getting older, their teeth are coming in, their teeth are getting straighter, whatever the case might be, right? They're looking cuter or they're looking older. But every time that we put the new picture in there, it demands us to look at the new phase or place of significance, right? Right? And what it also does is it continually causes us to rehearse. I'm not just going to leave this alone. I'm not just going to put that picture there and leave it and never come back to it. Oh, no, I'm going to come back to that frame. I'm going to add new pictures to it. I'm going to dust it off. I'm going to change it as the seasons go. Just so that I can begin to remind myself of that thing that is in the frame. Are you tracking with me? So, what you frame is what you will see. And what we frame in our lives is what will become first. So, I'm not talking about just a picture hanging on your wall. I'm talking about those things that you frame in your life. There are some specific things that all of us will say, I am going to put a frame around that and because I put a frame around that, it will demand my attention and therefore it will become first in my life because I have given it a place of significance. I keep coming back and looking at it. I keep rehearsing it and refreshing it. I keep it dusted off because I don't want to forget that picture. Amen? When you have... Conversations in your head about something that has happened. When you consistently repeat scenarios, what are you doing? You are continually keeping the frame maintained so that you will adjust what you see. In fact, let me ask you this. Have you ever had maybe a disagreement with somebody and as the scenario plays out, however it might be, But you start thinking about, well, you know what, they said this, and they went over there and talked to so-and-so, and and, and, and this is what they're thinking, and before you even know it, you have started to focus on and look at and begin to make it an issue where you have built this scenario of events that have happened, and before you know it, man, blood pressure starts ra- rising and you start getting irritated and before you know it man you're ready for a fight because yeah I know what they did I know what they said they went over there and talked to them, and they're stirring up trouble and so I'm going to give them a piece of what for the next time I see them and then when you get to see them, and you're ready for a fight and then as you start to, uh, uh, oh you mean it wasn't that way at all oh wow come on does anybody know what I'm talking about where you have built something up, you have framed something in your life, you have given place to that, and therefore it has begun to affect you, cause you sleep, cause you to lose your appetite. It's given you an ulcer, and you found out all along that it was nothing other than something that you gave place to in your life. And it never was really something that was real. Amen? And we all do that. People have frames, and it frames what we see first. And the unfortunate thing is is that oftentimes these frames that we have in our lives that begin to prioritize things within our lives is oftentimes we don't even see it or know that we have those frames that are creating a picture within our lives that are causing us to have arguments, that are causing things to be exalted to a place where they should not be. There are frames of fear in worry. There are frames of negativity and criticisms. There are, there are fears or there are frames rather of hurts. There are things within our lives that we have allowed there to be frames around that have begun to dictate how we see things and therefore it begins to put things in a level of priority in our lives. Now I've seen people and heard people when it comes to the frame of fear. You'll be surprised at how many times you'll listen or talk to somebody and they'll put Christian terms around it They'll talk like a Christian, or at least it sounds like that way on the surface. Yeah, well, you know. You know what's going on, and you just never know. And so, man, I've been really praying about that. I'm, you know, I'm just really fearful about that because of just this situation going on. And so I've been praying about that. Well, it sounds real noble that you've been praying about it, but what's causing you to pray? Or what's even beginning to spark the conversation? Fear, right? I mean, think about just all the school shootings, Right? I've talked to moms, they said, well, man, oh, gosh, we've got to send our kids to school. What are we going to do? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to put God on it. We're not going to put the shooters first. We're not going to put the terrorists first. We're going to put God first because God is greater. And therefore, the Bible says that he'll put a, pr- a hedge of protection around my kid that we can plead the blood of Jesus. And so therefore, when they go, I don't have to have fear, concern, or worry because my kid is protected. Right? Does that make sense? And and, and please don't hear that as being critical. I'm just saying that many times we find ourselves leaning that way, and it feels as though we're being spiritual, but really the driving force or what is framing the picture of why we're praying or even talking about it is fear. Right? I'm worried. I'm worried about little so-and-so. And so because you're worried or fear is driving that, you keep it as a center of attention. When it comes to fear, fear can also be negative, as I said, of criticisms. And you know, there are people that are critical, that are negative, and they're not doing it intentionally. Did you hear what I'm saying? People that are full of fear and anxiety and worry, they're not doing it intentionally. People that are just rude and belligerent, they're not trying to do it intentionally most of the time. What the cause of it is, is that somewhere along the line, somebody has framed the picture for them, and therefore they inherited the heirloom. It was passed on. Come on, dust this off. This is extremely valuable. This frame has been in our family forever. I just want to give it to you. And what ends up happening? We as children, we start to carry the cares and the worries and the fears and the baggage of generations beyond us or past us, not that it's a generational curse, I'm simply saying that you get passed on baggage and therefore you've got this pretty frame in which you exist and live. And you didn't even know it. It's just normal to you. Amen? My wife and I, we were talking about this just recently. You know, we're always trying to examine ourselves as parents, how we can be better parents and those kind of things. And one of the things that we noticed about ourselves is that we would say to our kids be careful. Hey, be careful with that. Watch yourself. Hey, hold on to that. And as we started examining ourselves, we started to realize that the whole reason why we say that oftentimes is a driving force of fear. Now, let me paint the picture for you. So, they're carrying something, they're holding something, they're doing something, and you're saying to them, be careful with that because you don't want it to break. So therefore, you assign some kind of value on what they're dealing with, and so really it's a fear of loss, or really it's poverty thinking, and so you say, be careful with that. Be careful. Why? Because you don't want it broken. And then you'll take it a step further. Be careful with that. Well, why do you you say be careful with that? Because you're saying, I don't want you to drop that and create a mess for me, right? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm the only one in here that does that. But again, why am I saying be careful? Why am I having a frame that draws attention? Be careful. It's because I've allowed fear, worry, anxiety to drive, and it's been so subtle. I don't want you to break it, and I don't want to clean it up. It's just a pain, and I'd just rather not have to deal with the pain. Right? And the whole driving force is fear. And we don't realize that we are being governed by fear. And it is exalting itself. It is an argument against the knowledge of who God is. But it's so subtle. And we allow these frames to dictate and have presence in our lives. Now, in the midst of those things that we're dealing with, those worries and those anxieties, the things that you might be struggling with, In the midst of them, God will give you hope. You realize that there are things beyond your control. And if you can't control them, then why worry? But the Bible says that God will give us hope. Do you know that hope is a driving force to your faith? And without hope, you will never have faith. Let me say that again. Without hope, you'll never have faith. What does that mean? God will give you hope to be able to see and have an expectation of something that you're dreaming about. And once you can begin to see it, God will begin to enlarge your faith to obtain it. God will give you hope. God will help you see it. God will help you live differently as a result of putting first things first. Notice what it says here. Bring every thought into captivity. So in other words... Change what you're framing. Bring everything into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is the anointing. It is the anointed one and his anointing. The anointing means it's the power to destroy the yoke and to remove the burden. So, when I bring that into obedience to Christ, I bring it into obedience to the power of God that has the ability to destroy the yoke and remove the burden. Woo, come on. See, right now, just even that, the frame changed. The picture changed. Come on, I'm giving it to Jesus, and God's got the power to destroy the power that has been controlling me. He goes on to say this again, to refresh your memory in 2 Corinthians. He says, casting down arguments of every high thought to the knowledge of God. See, again, you've got to have knowledge of who God is in order for you to have confidence or hope in who He is. If you don't have knowledge of God, when you see the mountain in your life, you'll say, oh, dear God. Let me frame the mountain. Let's create a mountain scene, and there's a little river. Hey, you painted that picture, right? <laughs> yeah, he'll paint and tell you how to do it right there. That's right. You know, this little critter lives over here, and, yeah, we have a little sunset over here. and Yeah, a little whoop. Get your little fan brush and do, you know. Yeah, man, we'll, we'll frame the mountain scene. And we're like, it's there forever. No. With God, when we have knowledge of God, God is the mountain mover. God is the one that created the mountain by the words in which he's and So all God needs to do is speak a word and the mountain be gone. Amen? So we're developing the means and the ability to change the framework that creates a priority system within our lives. And therefore, the frame begins to put first things first and set priorities. Amen? All right, so let's take what we've just talked about for just a moment And wrap that up talking about our families. How do we begin to shift that towards our families and having a God first or putting God first in our families and putting our families first? How many of you know that it's not by accident that it happens? It has to be intentional. We've got to be intentional with putting priorities and putting first things first. For instance, God created everything for success. He created marriage for success, he created church for success, he created children and family for success, and if we do it God's way, we will have 100% success rate of having the family, the home, the church, the children, the life that God has set before us, because when we do it God's way, it begins to frame and it causes us to see what God sees. It gives us hope, and therefore I can begin to set priorities within my life. Say it with me. Say, I can have 100% success. Amen. And listen, God made it easy. I said, God made it easy. If he made it hard, then it would be unfair. But God says, I've made it easy for you to have success and have 100% success in your life. So how do we do that? How do I have success? A family that I put first place. How do I have kids that I put first place? How do I put God first place in my life? Because it's applicable in every area. And as I begin to exercise these principles, it begins to frame the picture that I see. There are four foundational laws of putting family, God, children first. Number one, there's the law of priority. There's the law of priority. My relationship with God, my marriage, my children only work when they're in first place. Let me say that again. Your relationship with God, your marriage, your family only works when it's in first place. If God is low on the totem pole, your relationship don't work. When your relationship with your spouse is low on the totem pole, it don't work. I've got a purpose in their own proper perspective, put them first place. Does that make sense? They all have their place of priority, but I must put them first place in each one. Number two, or actually in the law of priority, the way of, uh, uh, or the laws of priority, you prove your priority by four different things. Number one, through your sacrifice. How many of you know that when it comes to serving God, it requires sacrifice? If you've been married for any length of time, it takes sacrifice. If you have children, it takes sacrifice, (laughs) right? There's a priority. Number one, and it's going to take sacrifice. Number two, it's going to require time. It will require your time if you're going to put it as a priority. Number three, it will require your energy. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, it's going to take energy. And then number four, it's going to require the right attitude. Well, you are the most lousy spouse that any person could ever have. I don't even know why I married you. I'm about ready to kick you to the curb. Well, if you keep talking that way, what is your focus on? What are you framing? What are you seeing? What's taking first place in your life? It follows your words because you're not answering the argument you're letting the argument dictate All right, number two we said that these are laws of priority that will help us put first things first in their priority number two protect them or protect your relationship with God protect your relationship with your spouse protect your relationship with your children you protect them by protecting them from what is uh, let me read it this way protect them from good things as a priority what does that mean It's typically not the bad things that messes up our relationship with God. It's the good things. It's not typically the bad things that messes up our marriages. It's typically the good things. And the same thing with our kids. For instance, you remember Adam and Eve? God didn't tell them that the the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil was a bad tree. He just said, don't do it. It was actually a good tree. He said, just don't eat from it. But they ate from it, didn't they? And messed the whole thing up. Well, you can put things out of priorities. They can be good things, but if you put good things in the wrong priority, they can mess things up. So you got to protect him from the good things as a result of proper perspective. Number three, there's the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit. Now, again, I'm talking about connecting the dots with what we put in the frame and putting things in first place. You must pursue that which you desire. You have to do things on purpose. Can you say amen? Come on. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you've got to pursue God. God pursues you, but you've got to pursue God. In regards to your relationship with your spouse, how easy is it to take advantage of your spouse after you've been married for several years? Sure it is. It's easy. You just take it for granted. You've got to pursue your spouse. When your kids turn 13, I got a brand new 13-year-old. She's only just a couple years old, man. Brand new model, polished right up, man. 13 years old. Come on, how many of you know that once kids turn teenagers, their pursuit, their desires, their attitudes don't necessarily turn towards mom and dad, right? So what do I do as a dad? I've got to pursue my children so that I maintain a relationship with them or I'll lose them. Uh, Pastor John Newsel, the one that is uh, uh, partnering with us in the finances, when I was meeting with him a couple years back, he said, it amazes me. He's got a large church of multiple thousand people. He said this, it amazes me. He said, it seems as though when the kids turn 14 years of age, he says, the parents go stupid. I said, what do you mean? He said, it seems as though when they turn 14, they just say, okay. Whatever you want to do, just go ahead and do it. He said, man, I, I, I see it all the time, kids that are pregnant, 14 years old, because they just let the kids go hang out, go downstairs, do what you want to do. Oh, just watching TV, that's all you're doing down there? Okay, just go have fun, play video games, and boy and girls get themselves in trouble. He said, people just go stupid thinking that at 14 years of age, their kids just have the ability to reason and use common sense. He says, no. He said, pursue your kids so that you protect them and steer them and help them begin to frame in their own life, proper perspectives of what needs to come first. Amen? And then number four, the law of misconce- misconceptions. The law of misconceptions. Number one, a relationship with God. That concerning our relationship with God, the emotions will always be there. How about your spouse? I've lost that and feeling. Whoa. <laughs> right. Come on, how many of you know that emotions come and go? And we think, well, praise the Lord, the emotions will always be there. No, just because we have a relationship with God doesn't mean we're always going to feel the emotions of it with our kids, with our spouse. No, that's a misconception. Number two, that if my emotions change, I must have done something wrong. No, not necessarily. Feelings change. Emotions and feelings are up and down. And just because I don't feel the emotion towards God doesn't mean I did something wrong. Just because right now I'm just not in the loving loving feeling right now towards my spouse doesn't mean that he or she did anything wrong. When it comes to my kids, just because I'm a little irritated with my kids right now doesn't mean that I did anything wrong. But once again, if I don't understand that, it begins to create a framework within my life That begins to mess with my priorities. Number three, positive events should fuel our relationships for a long time. What's that mean? Well, if I go to church this Sunday, I'm good for the rest of the month. Woohoo! Come on. How does that work with your spouse? Hey, listen, I, I, I bought them roses six months ago. That ought to get me good for six months. No. Heard one guy say it this way. He says all good deeds expire at midnight. Yeah, right? So again, we can't expect that just because we do something nice or do something right, that it lasts a long time with God, our spouse, or our children. No, we've got to be intentional. And then number four, when we have fallen out of love, it can't be fixed. You see, there are times that we fall out of love with God or we just have allowed ourselves to get out of focus. We start framing other things and we think, God... I just blew it, messed up with you, God. And God's not looking at you that way. When it comes to your spouse, man, I messed up and, and I feel like I'm out of love. Can't be fixed. No, it can be fixed. For parents with children or adult children, you're thinking, man, the relationship is messed up. I don't know if it can ever be back. It can be fixed. It's just a matter of us choosing to frame the right thing to set as a priority what we must see and if you'll purpose to frame the right thing it will produce hope within your life and it will allow God to come up and partner with you and begin to set priorities in your life to put God first to put our spouses first to put our children first and their proper priorities See, God wants us to have the best life. He wants us to enjoy this life. Man, I'm telling you what, there's times that I've thought to myself, I have lived a lot of life and I've not enjoyed it. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Like, man, I just don't enjoy life. If you're not enjoying life, you're focused on the wrong thing. You've got a picture on your mantle that is incorrect, and we just got to choose to change the focus and reframe it amen let's stand listen it don't take a long time to fix something you might think you know what man there has been so much time and so much space that has gone on that it will take forever to turn my circumstance around my relationship with God my relationship with my spouse or my children listen listen all it takes is a step in the right direction, and it changes immediately. The outcome might take some time, but the turnaround begins to change immediately with your first step. Amen? As a pastor, you know, I get to do this thing with God, but just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I automatically have a great relationship with God. It's got to be intentional. Same thing with my wife, my children. And it's my job to help my kids know who God is. To help them become men and women that have a relationship with Him and know how to frame the right things. And I just want to close with this little story, if it's okay. I think two weeks ago, my wife took our children into the dentist to get their teeth cleaned. And so my son, he's sitting there in the chair. He's only seven years old and the hygienist comes over and she's working on his teeth. And she says, yeah. She goes, everything looks really good. She goes, you got anything you, you're concerned with, anything you want to tell me? And He says, well, I got a couple canker sores in my mouth. She goes, oh, you do? He goes, yeah. He says, uh, my dad normally prays for my canker sores and they go away. But he didn't pray for these ones, so he said, I still got them right now. So she looks at my wife and smiles like, that's, that's, that's cute, you know. But as a dad, that blessed me. Because it was his second nature to him. As adults, we get all squeamish of talking about those things. But as a little boy, he's like, hey, we just talk to God because we got a direct hotline. My dad prays and God answers and he didn't do it this time. I'm talking about having a God first life. Who's on first? When you examine your life and you begin to aden- identify that there are certain things that should be in first but are not, to say, God, help me. Help me refocus and reframe so that I see what I need to see. And you'll be surprised how quickly God answers that prayer. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to just lift up these people to you right now. As we close this service, as we've just challenged ourselves to put first things first. God, I ask right now that you would help every single one of us examine the frames within our lives and change the picture in the landscape if need be. And the moment it's changed, hope will come into our hearts. Emotions will line up. Feelings will begin to follow the hope. And faith will rise to experience your best. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast